Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Joseph Hassoun is a psychiatrist at the Zucker Hillside Hospital in Long Island City, where he is the Associate Director of Acute Care Services. He has graciously agreed to spend some time with us today to look at many of our psychiatric medications to give us a sense of how these work at a cellular level. Dr. Hassoun, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with a basic concept that many people hear about. They're called receptors. We hear so much about them and their role in the disease process and their role in medication treatments. What is a receptor? Where is it found? In cells, outside of cells? Tell us a little bit about a receptor. The receptor and focusing mainly on the brain are basically found in the central nervous system and other parts of the nervous system and the body. But specifically related to our work in psychiatry, receptors allow modification of neurotransmitter and that could be either increasing or decreasing, that is stimulating or inhibiting the release of these neurotransmitters. We hear about presynaptic receptors and postsynaptic receptors. Are they the same? The presynaptic and postsynaptic are a reflection of the location in comparison to the neuronal cell. Basically, the two neurons allow what we call a synaptic cleft to be the area between those two neurons. And depending on where is the presence of this receptor, they have different functions, which we can talk a little bit more down the Please explain the difference between an agonist and an antagonist and how that reflects to receptors. An agonist essentially, when it comes to a medication, is this compound, when it sits on the receptor or occupies the receptor, it allows its function to begin, whether the function is to stimulate the release of a compound or a hormone, uh, that what we call an agonist. An antagonist does the opposite, which is either blocks or reduces the secretion of that neurotransmitter. Can we say that disease processes are in the, how shall I say this, can we say that it is a pathology or an abnormality in the receptor, or might a receptor be okay, but the cell has the pathology? All of the above. We have seen definitely both sides of the scenario implicating disease process. The pathology in the actual receptor has probably greater implication when it comes to treatment and hence might have more either difficulty in achieving response due to that pathology in the receptor or exacerbation of side effects or adverse reactions from these medications due to this abnormality. And that is an area that is being studied extensively. Who are the patients that have these abnormalities? To limit the exposure to these patients to these type of medications that might not end up being ideal for their treatment or they might have adverse reactions. A lot of times we hear the notion, whether it's a completely accurate notion or not, but it's passed around, is that schizophrenia, for example, and sometimes of depressions and anxiety disorders, are abnormalities in receptor activity. I guess that's a bit too narrow. I don't think it's too narrow, but one of the issues that we see is with treatment, for example, there is modification of quantity and quality of receptor. We know that that happens with treatment with medications, for example, with depression with antidepressants, and sometimes with 
medication, whether it is the psychotherapy, you will see similar changes, or even ACT, you will see some changes like, for example, down regulations of the receptors, an indication of abundancy of the hormone, and hence you don't need too many receptors to pick that up. That's how we sometimes understand it. If I can simplify this then, with treatment sometimes, the actual number of receptors on the cell change, downregulate. There's fewer of them. Exactly. And the principle is generally straightforward. If the neurotransmitter, if there is an abundancy, you probably do not need those high numbers of receptors to pick that up because a few receptors can pick up the same amount that is needed. And the contrary, in low neurotransmitter quantity, you would need a greater number of receptors in order to allow similar amount of transmission. And hence, we have the opposite, which is the upregulation. The antipsychotics then block the receptors, so the excess dopamine is, shall we say, ignored. Is that a fair way of putting it? In schizophrenia, for sure, we do have the issue of too much dopamine in certain areas of the brain, which can allow the delusions and the psychotic symptoms to be manifested. And the presence of this medication, whether it is a dopamine blocker specifically, reduces the impact of the excess dopamine on these symptoms, absolutely. If someone took cocaine or anything else that caused a massive release of dopamine, is this also the overstimulation of the postsynaptic receptors? Definitely not uncommon to see some patients who abuse cocaine have psychotic events. The difference is that in a lot of these cases, those events are reversible, meaning with the resolution of the acute implication from cocaine, you might have a restabilization of the amount of dopamine enhanced return to basic functioning. The difference in schizophrenia is that difference is more permanent and prolonged. We hear, for example, with depression, depression that is not enough serotonin. What are we doing with the antidepressive medications to enhance, is it the production of serotonin or just the sensitivity to serotonin? What role do receptors play when there isn't enough of the hormone being produced? Serotonin is one of the neurotransmitters implicated in depression. One of the core principles of treatment using what we call SSRI is basically inhibiting the reuptake, which means decreasing the chance of destruction or making the serotonin more available to exert its effects in the brain and hence alleviate the depression. So this is the basic principle of utilization of medications such as SSRI in order to modulate the depression status in the brain by enhancing the quantity and function of the serotonin. We are obviously, therefore, at times treating the postsynaptic receptors and sometimes treating the presynaptic receptors. Complex. And it is. I think a lot of what we know is the fact the presynaptic is needed in order to regulate the feedback that we get from the amount of serotonin that is present in the synaptic cleft and that is allowed to exert its effect on the postsynaptic receptors. What I like to think of it as the role of the presynaptic is more of a thermostat or a regulator of the presence of serotonin and hence can be instrumental in having appropriate level of Are we able to focus our medications to specific receptors just in the brain, or do we find dopamine receptors and serotonin receptors and 
all sorts of other receptors throughout the body. When we swallow an antidepressant, is it treating the brain or the entirety of the body? Definitely, the medication will be present in the blood and will be carried to all the body. Where there are receptors, we will see response. And sometimes that response can be in a side effect. The best example is the lining of the, the GI tract is full of serotonin receptors. And hence, those are the reasons why some of our patients might have GI upset when they start taking antidepressants. And at the same time, we find patients who have certain illnesses that are not mainly associated with depression, anxiety, or psychosis, but have what we call somatic components. Those somatic components get treated with these antidepressants. We believe possibly due to the presence of these receptors in various parts of the body. Essentially, we have medications that have multi-receptor activity, and we have medications that have multi-receptor activity extensively, so we call them sometimes dirty drugs. In the fact, I work on a lot of these receptors, but it does carry the risk of a greater chances of adverse reactions. The question often comes up, if it is a receptor abnormality that we're treating and we give them the medications, after a while, do the medications correct the ratios and sensitivities of the receptors and so people don't need it anymore? Is it fair to say that the receptors are like antennas? They're broken and we just have to offset them endlessly, maybe for the rest of a person's life. So do we have any sense about why some people need to be on it for six months, a year, sometimes forever? Is there a connection to the nature of the receptors? A convoluted question. I'm sorry. I hope it's answerable. The principle of having deformed receptors is not new. You know, this is something that people have looked at for a long period of time. And hence, that can be implicated in the disease manifesting itself and also in treatment options where they might not respond to certain types of medications. The issue is certain psychiatric illnesses are episodic. It is possible to see someone has a depressive episode and they get treated and they never have another one again. But at the same time, we see patients who have what we call chronic nature of the illness, where it responds to treatment can be exacerbated again by environmental factors. So the role of biology and environment is extremely important here in understanding. So we do have the genetic predisposition to having the disease manifest itself. The trigger or the activation process occurs in the environment, whether it is psychosocial or, in some cases, drugs, which are an environmental stressor on the patients as well. If you take Prozac or you can take Lexapro or you take any of the antidepressants, they all hit serotonin receptors. And yet one person will come back and say, the Lexapro didn't work for me, the Prozac did. Can we hypothesize that maybe the Prozac molecule is just enough of a different shape than the Lexapro molecule so that it sits on that particular person's receptors in just a little bit of a difference? How do we explain differences in responses to medications? This question led me to spend two years of my life in doing pharmacogenetic fellowship predicting response. You're absolutely right. I mean, this has been something that occupied the work of people for a very long time. How can we predict which patients will respond to Prozac versus Alexapro? Yes, there are some genetic changes or, or what we call polymorphisms that are implicating in patients not having adequate response to the certain medication versus other. It is really the relationship between the molecule and the host.
Go to any meeting, there's always going to be a discussion based on the notion that once upon a time there was one serotonin receptor. Then there was two serotonin receptors. Now we have six and seven and eight, and God only knows how many we're going to have down the road. Sometimes more than one receptor needs to be dealt with in a particular condition. That makes it even more complex and harder to explain. I'd like your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I mean, I think a good example would be the schizophrenia treatment progress. So initially we had focused on dopamine and the principle was in order to have successful treatment in schizophrenia, you have to have D2 occupancy. But we found that serotonin is also implicated and hence the newer generation of medication or what we call the second generation antipsychotics have also serotonin component. And that ratio actually is utilized sometimes in understanding the importance in response. We are knowing more about the various serotonin receptors. We are able to understand the role of these receptors. And this might explain right now the chances of someone to have remission of their symptoms following an initiation of the initial antidepressant is one in three. Pretty low. So that tells us that it is not just about single or double or three receptors, probably more than that. Until we understand that, our response rate will continue to be suboptimal. And we learned from the fact that with multiple trials, we can increase that response rate, meaning multiple trials with medications. Yosef Hassoun is a psychiatrist at the Zucker Hillside Hospital in Long Island. To some people, that's still part of New York City. Thank you very much for having me.